Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, Father Tinboom, God's Man, by Corey Tinboom, with permission of Lighthouse Trails Publishing and the Tinboom Foundation. And we are in Chapter 5, Return to the Bayet. As his strength declined, my grandfather, William, became more and more occupied with the subject of death. The letters he wrote to Father had a serious tone, but they also expressed the joy and the hope of the coming deliverance. He wrote the following letter in a short time before his death. I especially liked the practical afterthought. Dear Casper, I have some spare moments this morning and want to write you a few lines. I noticed from your last letter that you hoped to receive strength for living and courage for dying. Let me tell you something. You do not need courage for dying yet. You will receive this only when you need it, not before. And you will receive it through the Lord Jesus himself. Death is not fiction. It is a great reality. The Lord himself died in order that death could become the road to heaven for us. He has taken away death's sting. Jesus lives in his church and he supplies every member of his body with his power just when it's needed. He will also do that at the time of one's death. I think of Bunyan's story where the pilgrim has to go through the river of death and can feel no ground under his feet until somebody comes and lifts his head up out of the water. When we look at the body, we see it only as a travel outfit. The coffin and the dark grave show death in all its coldness but we must look up to him who is the conqueror of death. The day when the saints enter into glory, it will be a great wedding for his church. Then we will be set free from all the bonds that hinder us from enjoying the love of Jesus and giving him perfect praise. For us, death is a cutting off of all sin, a dying to all that is vile and sinful. It means deliverance from the power of Satan so that we will be eternally free to bathe in the love of God. No more darkness No more strife. As did the author and the finisher of our faith, so we, as members of his body, need to go from Calvary to Mount Olives through suffering to glory. Therefore, we can be of good courage, keeping a song of joy in our hearts and our eyes fixed on him. The day of deliverance is coming when we will sing with those who have gone on before us. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Revelation 5.12 Many greetings from your father, William Tinboom. When I was with you last week, the front door was open, and the children were sitting on the floor. You must not allow that. It is enough to make them ill, and it is not good for you either. You're a father. On a cold December night in 1891, father was called to the Bayet, where his father lay dying. Grandfather approached death with a quiet trust. In one of his last letters to his sister Cato, he wrote, I am living one day at a time. God's goodness is eternal, and his faithfulness is from generation to generation. I am so much enjoying the presence of the Lord, and I wait for him. My suitcases are packed. With his last strength, Grandfather blessed Father with an apostolic benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. How my father needed that grace and love and fellowship when he was dying in prison more than 50 years after this blessing from his father. In the countries where I have worked, I have found so many Christians who are afraid to die. It is true that death is the last enemy to be overcome, but it is still an enemy. However, 
Does the Bible not show us clearly that our life here is not the last chapter of the book, but the first chapter? But we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 5.1 From Amsterdam to Harlem Grandfather had often helped father financially with a business in Amsterdam. When grandfather's will was opened, grandmother showed father a list of all the money which father had received. He had to pay it all back, which took him several years. A year later, father was asked to come to Harlem and work in grandfather's shop with his mother. This was one of the hardest times in father's life. He rented a small house in Harlem and we lived away from the shop in the Baye. When we moved, I was six months old and Betsy was seven years old. Tante Anna, mother's youngest sister, had always lived with us, so she was also a member of our family too. Mother's diary tells of the changes our family went through during this period. New Year's Eve, 1892. When I wrote in my diary exactly one year ago, none of us dreamed that this evening we should be no longer in Amsterdam. We left our beloved city in October and are now living in a small but nice house in Harlem. There were so many changes. What an eventful year this was. At times it was so dark and difficult, but the Lord spared us for one another. And we also received a very small baby, which we had been expecting in May, but which arrived a month early on Good Friday. The Lord gave us a very little weak baby, Corey. Oh, what a poor little thing she was, nearly dead. She looked bluish-white, and I never saw anything so pitiful. Nobody thought she would live. And really, although she started to grow soon, she's still a weak child. She is eight months old now and is suffering from teeth that have not yet come through. I do hope they will cut soon. None of the other children were so weak, and yet she is such a dear. She has very large eyes, and she looks so happy. She has to be treated very carefully. During the night, she is quiet, but in the daytime, she can have terrible fits of crying. Her hair is dark, and she is a darling child when she is feeling quite well. I hope we may keep her. Arnoli is quite different. None of them looks as well as she does, so plump and with good color. Her dark eyes sometimes look nearly black, but they are not as large as Corey's eyes. It's good to live here because we can enjoy walking in this part of the town so much more than in Amsterdam. Apart from that, there's a large garden behind our house from which we hope to have much pleasure this summer. A shadow on our living here is that we see so little of Casper, as he is in the Bortoljolstadt all day, and we live in the Galastadt, ten-minute walk away. Sundays are an even greater joy for us now. The children are so happy then because they can go for walks with Daddy, who tells them stories. New Year's Eve, 1895. Our children are growing up. Betsy is as good as ever in developing nicely. She is learning well and doing her best always. She does everything at her own speed, and that can be rather slow. But, oh, she is such a dear, warm-hearted daughter to us. Our William has changed a lot in his favor this past year. The reason was a very nice one. During the summer, the Salvation Army held an open-air meeting every Sunday in our part of town, and Betsy and William attended them regularly. William soon told us that he wanted to become a young soldier. And when we explained to him that he had to show this by fighting against all his faults, he said, Well, I'm going to do so. And it was a miracle how he gradually changed and persevered, even in the smallest things. May the Lord bless his endeavors. Noli grew thin and pale this year. She loves learning and is teaching herself to read and write. 
We can see in so many ways that she's very intelligent. Our Corey is still the youngest and is so sweet. Everyone is fond of her. She is much more childlike than the others were at that age, but she also has such lovely manners. We have to take special care of her. She has frightened us so often, especially by shouting wildly in her sleep. She has to be kept very quiet. So there's nothing but blessings with our children. But on the other hand, some very dark clouds have come up, and it is impossible to write it all down. It concerns my husband and his mother. The problem has been going on for such a long time. What a terrible thought, that a mother is not living in peace with her own children. So many prayers have been offered up for this very sad state of affairs. I only trust that the difficulties will not grow too severe for my dear Casper. He looks so unwell. May the Lord cause it all to end well. Grandmother left the shop in the house a few years later, making it possible for us to all live in the same house as the business. However, it was necessary to enlarge and remodel the Bayer. Father and a friend, an architect, drew up the plans for the reconstruction of the Bayer, planning five small rooms on the third floor of the building. When the Bayer became a refuge for so many Jewish people years later, it was very practical to have so many tiny rooms. Business was going better for Father. The Bayer. Mother wrote, New Year's Eve, 1897. We had to put off the renovation of our house altogether, and then the Lord brought it about in a very special way. Men are working on it now, and they hope to have it ready within a few months. Both grown-ups and children are so looking forward to its being ready, especially me. It's being enlarged and will be very practical. Casper is enjoying the work very much. It is lovely when an ugly, unattractive object is turned into something so good. What a change for the family. It was just a house, but I lived there for more than 50 years. It was still an impractical house with steep, narrow, winding stairs, far too small for 10 people to live in. On the right and the left were much taller houses. So little sunlight reached our windows. When I came back from prison, I met a cousin who had moved into our baye after his house was confiscated. What a dark house this is, he said. We need electric lights on in the living room and the workshop almost all day. I had never once realized that. To me, the Bayer was light. The Bayer was father and mother and all around them people, young and old, who live intensely and whose horizons were so much wider than the walls of this particularly built little house. Its doors may have been narrow, but it was always wide open to every person who needed help. Privileged. The very first generator to produce electric light in our town was placed in the block of houses where we lived. The noise of the motor could be heard day and night, but ours were the only houses in Harlem which had the privilege of possessing electric light switches. During prayer, Mother always turned the lights off. Why use electricity when everybody had their eyes closed? But one day during prayer, the doorbell rang. Everybody in the room ran to the light switch at once, causing many collisions in the pitch dark. That was the most hilarious prayer time ever held in the Bayer. Tante Jan said afterwards, in spite of this, I hope we will put off the lights again during our prayers. The generator would break down often in those days, at which time all of us living in the, that block of houses could hear a familiar bang. The lights would be off for days, sometimes for weeks, until the motor was finally repaired. This usually happened when we had a large crowd of visitors, a board meeting or something else that made the mishap nothing less than a catastrophe. The motor in our block caused us to praise the Lord often, but it also gave us many laughs together. The radio. 
In a Bible class one day, a servant girl told us that her employer said the ownership of a new invention, a radio, with several other people on his block. Every month we have the radio in our home for one day, she told us. It was a small box, and it gives music and speaks. There's a big thing on top that looks like a horn. Do you have something like wires in your ears to hear it, we asked. No, we all sit around and we hear singing and speaking as if it were happening in the very room. Can you hear several voices at once? Yes, sometimes we hear a whole orchestra. Sometime after I shared the story of the radio at home, the children of Harlem gave Father a radio. How excited we were when it had been installed and we could try it out. We gathered near the radio expectantly, and the first thing we heard from it was the song, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. Betsy was put in charge of selecting the radio programs we would all listen to. She would carefully read the weekly program listings and then mark the very interesting programs with a red pencil. Thanks to Betsy, we never missed one worthwhile program on this fantastic new invention. There was no electricity at all in Holland during the last years of the German occupation. Shortly after the war, I went to America. Imagine how I felt when I saw the many colored streetlights in New York and the lighted windows in empty rooms. During that time, I would often turn off the lights in the empty rooms without thinking. When I told my hostess the story of the privileged Harlem people, they always understood and forgave me. Blessing. Two shadows brought darkness into our lives, the chronic money shortage and mother's frequent illness. I remember often asking my father, Why, Papa, why? I found his answer in a story in his notebook. It happened around the year 1640. A group of Spaniards were traveling through the jungles of South America when one member of the party fell seriously ill with malaria. In a short time, the fever weakened him so much that he was unable to walk. His friends were at their wits' end. They improvised a stretcher from the branches and tried to carry him on it. The condition of the sick man and the difficulties in transporting him became so much that they finally decided to lay him down at the side of the pool of water, in the shadow of a tree with thick foliage. There they left him. His situation seemed desperate. His fellow travelers had left him some food, but he paid no attention to it. Water? That was his only thought. Tormented by the burning thirst, he bent down to the water, only to fall back in despair. The water had a loathsome, bitter taste. But as time went on and the fever began to burn and consume his body, he drank again and again. Then a strange thing happened. After every drink of water, the fever seemed to subside and the pain became less severe. Strength returned to his weak body. Healing had come to him through the bitterness of the water. You see, the tree under which his companions had laid him was the cinchona, or quinine tree. Leaves and pieces of bark had fallen into the water and the quinine had dissolved. Not only was the exhausted traveler completely restored, but a wonderful remedy was discovered through which countless lives have since been saved. That is the way it often goes with those of us who have to pass through dark and bitter trials. How easily we rebel against the circumstances that cause us to suffer and which we cannot change. However, the Lord allows troubles to come our way and uses them to heal us. Watchmaker, by the grace of God. My name is on the shop, my father often said, but God's name should really be there. I am a watchmaker by the grace of God. Can God help us solve practical everyday problems? In 1899, Father wrote to his Aunt Cato, At present, I am using my spare time to study the regulating of precision watches. In fact, I have been doing so far quite some time. 
and I'm getting many blessings out of it. Some weeks ago, I was occupied with a difficult technical problem in my work. I studied several books on the subject, which were, as is all watchmaking literature in English and German. I searched many books but could not locate the necessary information. Then one night in a dream, I saw the drawing of white lines and dots on a black background with an explanation beside it in English and German. It was so simple and clear that I understood it at once. The next morning I tried it and it worked. The problem was solved perfectly. Once again, I reviewed all my books to see if I could find a drawing like the one I'd seen in my dream, but I found none. I can say that, even in such worldly matters, the Lord is my shepherd. Such experiences enable me to persevere in the difficulties in my business, for I am certain that the Lord is with me and helps me. Impossible to repair. Father liked the challenges of watches or clocks, which were declared impossible to repair. Once we read in the paper of the Salvation Army a story by the wife of a Salvation Army officer, Mrs. Celestine Schock. She traveled all over the world with her family, and every time she packed her belongings for another move, the last item she would pack was an old clock that played the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. When they arrived at a new post, the clock would be the first thing she would unpack. Listening to its tune, she would immediately feel at home, no matter where she was in the world. The woman who wrote the story was retired and living in Switzerland. At the end of her article, she mentioned that her clock was broken, apparently beyond repair. After reading the story, Father went to the Salvation Army headquarters in Harlem and asked that the clock be brought to him the next time someone came from Switzerland to Holland. He was able to repair the clock, and we soon heard the song singing from our workshop. It gave Father great pleasure to be able to ship the clock back to the lady from the Salvation Army in perfect working order. And that's the end of Chapter 5. Next time we're going to do Chapter 6. I think what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to read these in uh, in the single chapters so that you have time to think about it and digest what's being said and and the uh, wisdom and uh, the uh, godly uh, living of this man. Um, just pray that your hearts have been blessed as much as mine have been in reading it. And just uh, thank you. I hope that you're blessed by it and uh, pray that the Lord guides and leads you. And I love you. I'm praying for you. And Bye-bye for now.